0: Wow. Well, you know, you hear an introduction that past, like that, a pastor gives, and you know what the donkey felt like that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on? Because I believe the donkey realized that the shouts and all the accolades and all the great things were not for him, but for the one he carried. Amen? The one we all carry. So turn to the person next to you, smile, and say, you are the best looking thing I've seen all day.
1: Just tell them you are hot and you're gifted of God, amen?
0: <laughs> I do that because hopefully you're sitting next to your wife or your husband. And if you're not, hopefully you're sitting next to someone you wish was your wife or your husband. <laughs> Just trying to help you out. Uh, and if you're not sitting next to someone you wish was your wife or husband, I give you the... the opportunity right now go ahead and stand and go find a good spot to sit in (laughs) i'll wait (laughs) turn with me to the book of acts chapter 1 verses 1 through 5 as we speak on the power to change the world i'm always amazed how the lord dovetails things and how he puts things together every time i come there is such a feeling of being home when i'm here Uh, The very moment I drive into the parking lot and just start walking the building, it just feels like home. And then the Lord confirms certain things, and I see people walking around with these crazy shirts on, and I think, okay, what's what's pastor up to? And and then you realize that God is in charge, and he lays things out, and he is an amazing contractor because he's building a church. In Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, let's read together. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit during the 40 days after his crucifixion. He appeared to the apostles from time to time and proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. Actually, I could preach a whole series of messages on that one line right there, that he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And isn't that the truth, that he does that to us on a daily basis, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that he proves to us in many different ways that he is actually alive. Look at verse 4. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. In the 25 years since I've been in ministry, we are celebrating 25 years of ministry. On June 23rd, I turned 48 years old. And as I look at all of the things that have transpired and taken place I've seen the generations come and I've seen the generations go. And some of you have seen a whole lot more than I have. They come in one door, enjoying their moment in the sun, and then they make room for the ones coming behind them. In the process, of course, music changes, styles change. When I started the ministry 25 years ago, I would have never dreamed of preaching dressed like this. I would have had a suit and tie on and Because a lot of folks didn't think you could be anointed unless you had a suit and tie on. And Pastor says they were right. (laughs) In the process, of course, everything changes. Terminologies change and styles change. As a matter of fact, during the recent political campaigns, we heard a lot about change. In fact, the political pundits used it so much that they said change was the new political cliche. But the one thing that must never change in the church of Jesus Christ is our basic message and our mission. Our basic message and mission must never change. It must not and cannot change because the gospel is the gospel. In fact, Romans chapter 1 verse 16 says, it is still the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first the Jew, then the Gentile. However, that very gospel the very message that underlies our existence as believers is under attack like I've never seen it before. The church has always had its minor disagreements over style and emphasis and certain points of doctrine, but this is much more serious than that. We're not speaking about how you might view the order of prophetic events or even the never-ending debate concerning the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. No, what I'm speaking about is life and death. For right now, in the church of Jesus Christ today, there is a debate among a growing number as to whether Jesus really is the only way to salvation. Or whether or not all scripture is the inspiration of God, as 2 Timothy 3.16 so clearly states. There are some Pied Pipers out there who are leading many unsuspecting believers or would-be believers down a wrong road. Every day on Christian television, I see preachers getting away from simply declaring the simple gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you know that George Barna just did a report that said seven out of 10 Christians don't even know what the word gospel means, where the word gospel simply means the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, or the good news of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And every day on Christian television, I'm blown away. Because I've been listening to many of the most popular preachers and teachers. And it's very sad that they're so shallow and anemic. I listen to their podcasts and I understand now why we have so many people who don't even know the basic fundamentals of our doctrines and our faith. Instead, many are focusing on issues like global warming. Or preaching from their latest book. Instead of preaching the word of God. On the day of Pentecost... Peter stood and addressed the crowd, saying, this is what was prophesied by the prophet Joel. This is what was prophesied by the prophet Joel. Friends, this reminds us that if we can't say this is what was spoken of, then we should not seek it or practice it. And I bring this to your attention because every now and then someone comes along and says, you can have this new experience with the Holy Spirit. They go on to describe some unusual phenomenon, whether it be screaming or shrieking or laughing uncontrollably or barking and animal noises or acting like a dog, gold dust falling from the sky or angel feathers or all these new phenomenons that they say is from the Holy Spirit. And my response to those people are, uh, "Excuse me, where is that in the Bible?" Because frankly, if I can't find it in the Bible, I'm not interested. If I can't find it in the Word, then it's not of the Lord. We should always be able to say with Peter, this is what was spoken of. This is what God has told us of. And then we have to have scriptural basis for what we are doing. I've even heard them saying, I'm a prophet of God, and I have a new revelation for the church and they say what I'm about to tell you has never been spoken before. Listen friend, in this day and age of ultra sensationalism, a day and age of many voices and many choices. If you hear someone talk like this, walk very quickly in the opposite direction. If you're watching a television broadcast and someone stands up and says, "I've got a fresh new revelation. God has spoke, I'm a prophet, and this has never been revealed before." Turn the channel immediately. Don't even hesitate. If you're in a meeting where this is proclaimed again, get up and leave. Why, Pastor? Because the fact is, if it's new, then it's not true. And if it's true, then it's not new. I'm not looking for a new revelation. I have more than enough revelation to deal with in the Word of God itself. There are people out there who are running to and fro and always looking for new words from the Lord. They haven't even read the word of God from cover to cover, but they're looking for a fresh new word. There's plenty to occupy yourself with in the pages of the Bible, more than you can begin to deal with in a lifetime that you and I would have here. There's no need for new revelations. So instead of global warming, I want to go on record and issue a global warning. And I want you to pay very close attention. Friends, we had better get back to the basics, or we will lose whatever influence we have as the church. The trend nowadays with some churches is to be cool, contemporary, and relevant at the expense of preaching the full gospel. And if you spend a lot of time with me or any amount of time with me, you know that it's not my objective to be lame or out of date or irrelevant. Quite the contrary. Oh, I believe that We must keep our presentation of the gospel to a lost world very contemporary. However, at the same time, what matters is a balanced approach to an end-time generation. Truthfulness and accuracy wrapped up in a bold proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is why the book of Acts will always define what is truly relevant. The question then arises, well, why? Why is that relevant? Because it was, and remains to this day, the original template for the church of Jesus Christ. Within the pages of the book of Acts, written by Dr. Luke, we see the very blueprint that Jesus made for the church. He laid down for us to follow. And we stray from that blueprint at our own peril. This is the church that changed the world through prayer, through fasting, through preaching. Through moving outside their four walls and bringing the gospel to a hurting people. Now we need to get back to where these first believers received and experienced on the day of Pentecost. We have the power to change the world. And some would say, well, Randy, maybe we need another Pentecost. No, we don't need another Pentecost anymore than we need another Calvary. The first one was good enough. Let's just appropriate what was made available on the day when Jesus himself, through the power of the Holy Spirit, started the church. Let's tap into the power that was poured out on the first century believers and remains every bit available to crown point as it was to the first century church as they reached their generation. Lord, help us reach ours. Acts 15, 26 speaks of men that risked their lives for the name and the cause of Jesus Christ. Men like Paul and Barnabas and Silas. A young Timothy, all walking in the power of the Spirit. A young man by the name of Stephen, who became the first martyr of the church, which we will touch on in just a moment. In Acts 16, Paul has a vision, and he sees a man calling them to Macedonia. So they set out immediately to Philippi, the chief city of Macedonia. And when they arrived, a storyteller, or a better translation would be a psychic, sees them coming. These men, she says, are servants of the most high God. She begins to cry out. And for many days, the apostle allows it to happen. And he doesn't do much about it as she is saying, these men are here. And, well, they're here from the most high God. And they're going to show us the way of salvation. And Paul knew he didn't need the devil to help him promote his ministry. He knew that it was only going to cause confusion. Like then, like today, it's a day of ultra sensationalism. He's speaking to a polytheistic generation, a generation who believes in many gods, just like America. Understand something, friends. This generation in America, what is happening now is they, the, the chief word is inclusion. You've got to include it all. Every religion, embrace it. And that's a lie from the pits of hell. That's a lie from the pits of hell. And so this psychic is crying out, these men will show us the way of salvation. Finally, Paul has enough. He turns and he says, come out in the name of Jesus. He casts out the demon. The problem was, this person was a big tourist attraction. And these slave owners were making a lot of money off of this demonic spirit. And so they dragged Paul and Silas into the court to be charged And the slave owners of the delivered woman, they bring them in, and the charges were recorded in Acts 16 and 20. These men do exceedingly trouble our city.
1: That was the the claim. These men, they trouble our city. They're thrown into
0: prison, and the fledgling church of Philippi, it must have looked like to them, like the devil had won. But all of heaven's power
1: will rest with Holy Spirit troublemakers. Are you a troublemaker for God? All of
0: heaven's power rests with Holy Spirit troublemakers. As Paul and Silas began to sing, and suddenly there was a great earthquake. In fact, again, I could preach a whole series of messages on those five words. As Paul and Silas began to sing. Did you notice that in the lord's prayer it begins with telling us to praise and it ends with telling us to praise it's a really not the lord's prayer the lord really prays in the book of john however it's more of the disciples prayer but our father which art in heaven hallowed be thy name and it ends with thy kingdom come that will be done give us this day our daily bread it is bookend by praise the new testament church nero is putting them on spikes and they're burning in the gardens of Nero, and yet they're lifting their voice and they're crying out, they know the power of praise. Oh, I wish I had time to teach you. Paul and Silas, they sang, they knew the power of praise. The Bible tells us that in the midnight hour, the jail cell begins to shake because God inhabits the praises of his people. If you're wondering where God is, why is he not in my life? I would strongly encourage you to learn how to praise. Because when you praise, he shows up, and he shows up himself. Whatever situation you are in, if you will lift your hands and lift your voice and learn to praise him, whether it is a jail, whether it is a cancer ward, whether it is bankruptcy, or whether it's in joy and abundance, if you'll lift your hands and learn how to praise him, he will show up. If you're sitting there wondering, where are you, God? Simply praise him. Because he inhabits the praises of his people. The Greek word to the Aramaic inhabit means sits down upon. He sits upon you. And as the Holy Spirit was entered into the situation, your praise invites him into your human experience. That's why we praise him. Suddenly, now the jail cell is open. And Paul and Silas walk out of the jail cell, and the jailer cries out, Sirs, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Understand, that man was not culturally ready to be saved. That man was not culturally ready for the power of the Holy Spirit. But God rendered him effective by the power of praise. Hallelujah. Paul and Silas walk out with the keys in one hand and a convert in the other. And the church at Philippi explodes. In Acts 17 and 16, it was said of the early church that they turned their world upside down. When Paul and Silas were preaching at Thessalonica, an angry mob yelled, Paul and Silas have turned the rest of the world upside down, and now they are here disturbing our city. It was also said of Elijah in 1 Kings 18 and 16. When Ahab saw him, he explained, or or Yael exclaimed, so is that really you, you troublemaker of Israel? Is that really you? But Elijah was quick to set the record straight. He looked over at King Ahab and began to proclaim. He said, no, I have not made trouble for Israel. Elijah replied, you and your family are the troublemakers, for you have refused to obey the commands of the Lord, and I worship the images of Baal instead. You see, every time Ahab and his wicked wife Jezebel tried to kill Elijah, the Holy Spirit would move him literally to another location. And this wicked king, this demonic-filled man, was getting frustrated. The other day in prayer, I thought, Lord, wouldn't it be great? I mean, wouldn't it be wonderful if you would just move me the same way? Wouldn't it be awesome if you can just say, Lord, beam me up and just get me out? And the Lord would just move you out of that situation you're in? How many would say amen to that? And then the Holy Spirit said, how do you know I haven't done it? I said, Lord, you know that semi that should have taken you out? How do you know that it wasn't me pushing it the other way? That cancer that should have taken you and the doctor says, I am completely bewildered. How do you know that every time the devil fired his fiery arrows at you, that it was the power of the Holy Spirit that moved you out of the way? You should be dead now, brother, but God's kept you. I want you to look in the next three or four seconds in your mind's eye about all the times you look at the things that have happened in your life and you say, how in the world did I escape that? Could it be that the same God of Elijah, the same God of Paul and Silas, the same God, could it be that the same power that invaded the borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea and raised to life again the three-day dead body of the Lamb of God, could it be that he stepped into your human situation and caused the devil to be in total bewilderment? As he said, I almost had them. I almost had them. Oh, friend, the message is clear. The devil can rage. The political powers may threaten in Washington, but God has all power for those who will take a stand. Oh, may God give us more disturbances and troublemakers like this. On the way up from Springfield, I was praying that out of this church, God would raise Holy Spirit troublemakers that would shake the gates of hell. All the way up as I sat there and I just worshiped and prayed, I said, Lord, for some reason you've tied us in with this congregation. I believe with all my heart that God has you here as a lampstand, and God is waiting for Holy Spirit troublemakers to arise out of this congregation. Men and women who will boldly proclaim, Holy Spirit, would you just rain down your anointing? People who are not ashamed to stand in the midst of every circumstance and lift their hands and say, Lord, just let it rain. Do you know what's interesting about when you say, let it rain? What you're literally saying is, I just want to get wet. I just want to get saturated with the presence of God. By an upraised hand, how many say, Randy, I want to get saturated with the presence of the living God. I don't care about it. I just want more of Jesus. Come on. Lord, let it be. Let it be in this church. Lord, let it be in every family, every nationality, every race, every creed, every color. Lord, rain down your anointing in this place. We need Holy Spirit troublemakers. G. Campbell Morgan said Organized Christianity, which fails to make a disturbance, is dead.
1: Are you making a disturbance? Or are you dead? Friends, listen, I thank God for what
0: he's doing across the nation. I thank God for what he's doing here. When I walked into the lobby and I saw the coffee bar and I saw the thing, I said, man, that's so sharp. That looks so good. Oh, I'm so thankful. I saw the fountain out there and I said, Ward, that looks really cool. We're uptown now. saw the new building with the glass and all that kind of stuff. Man, the children of God are pimping it. We're just stepping out now. We're looking good. Doesn't it look good? Thank God it looks wonderful. The red lights came on on the platform. I said, ooh, we're getting high tech too. Look at that. You wouldn't recognize this church if you saw where it came from. I've seen where it came from. I've preached in that old gymnasium at the other side of town,
1: down in the hood. Now you up here with all the high folk. And God has brought us a long way. But there's so much he wants to do. There's
0: so much more that he can do. There's so much more that he is willing to do. <laughs> However, what concerns me, it seems, that the church in America is leaving it up to a few, and the vast majority are not making much of a disturbance anymore. We're so worried about fitting in, about relating, and about being relevant and cool that we have forgotten what it is to take a stand for truth. Again, there is nothing wrong with being relevant and cool, but not at the expense of the gospel. Instead of the church turning the world upside down, my fear is that the world is turning the church upside down. And what is literally happening across America is that preachers are more concerned about making the Bible relevant to a community and to the world instead of making the
1: world respond to the gospel. And God is looking for a church that will stand for truth.
0: Many years ago, A.W. Tozer said, if the Holy Spirit were taken away from the New Testament church, 90% of what they did would come to a halt. But if the Holy Spirit were taken away from today's church, only 10% of what it does would cease to happen. Now that's a powerful statement. And it brings up the question, how dependent on the Holy Spirit are you? How dependent are you on him in your business, with your finances, in your marriage?
1: How dependent on the Holy Spirit is crown point? How dependent are you? An old
0: country preacher named Vance Havner, he said, we're not going to move this world by criticism of it, nor conformity to it, but by the combustion which lives in the lives that are the ones who have been ignited by the very Spirit of God. So that's why we need to get back to the book of Acts template. Here in the book of Acts is the story of a handful of people who did not leave the world the same way they found it. This group of 120, roughly the same size of the average church in America. Did you know that the average church in America is about 100 to 120 people? It's not an accident that God started with that amount in the upper room. But immediately, he gives us the template on that day when the power of the Holy Spirit fell, 3,000 were added to the church instantaneously. And yet, we who call ourselves spirit-filled want to move away from the power and the anointing and don't want to offend anyone. But these were not plaster saints. They were faith-walking people, people who dared to make a difference, people who buried themselves in an altar and sought after the power of the Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit came upon them, they were empowered by the Spirit and were able to do extraordinary things. It was the beginning of a movement that continues today. In the book of Acts, it tells us a story of how God's spirit changed the lives of those that encountered him, and because of that, you might call it an unfinished book. Did you notice that in the opening chapter of the book of Acts, we read that Dr. Luke is writing to Theophilus. We really don't know who Theophilus is. Many theologians believe he was a friend, or, or maybe it was just a surname that they gave to the church, but whatever the case may be, Luke addresses him several times in the gospel narrative, so Theophilus played a key role in the life of Luke. And he addresses him and he says this, These are the things that Jesus began to teach. In other words, it's an unfinished story. With more chapters to come. Now I'm not suggesting that we literally write out new material to insert into the pages of the Bible. That would be heresy. That would be wrong. But I am saying that we should never put a period where God has placed a comma. I want you to ask yourself, in your life right now, have you placed a period where God wants to put a comma? Maybe you placed that period there because you've been serving the Lord for pretty near 25 years, you would say, and now let the younger ones do it. And so you've put a period Maybe you say, well, you know what? I just don't fit in socioeconomic, you know, and and so I'm going to put a period, and God is wanting to place a comma in your life. There's no doubt in my mind that there are many of you here that God wants you to take the blood of Jesus and erase the period and place the comma and lift your hands and say, Lord, there's so much more to come.
1: There's so much more you want to do with me. Some would say, well, come on, pastor, they had
0: it easier in their day. It's much more difficult in the 21st century. Really? Well, let's take a quick look at what the first century church dealt with. Believers in those days lived under the iron fist of the godless power of Rome. Immorality was rampant. Divorce was widespread. Slavery was the order of the day. And infanticide was a regular practice. In city after city, prostitutes openly walked the streets and plied their trade. The religious establishment of the day was so corrupt, it was corrupt to the core. Thousands of people openly practiced idolatry, spiritism, and outright demonic worship. Temples were erected to false gods, and they stood seemingly on every single corner. What's more, wherever the believers went bringing the message, they were harassed, ridiculed, physically assaulted, imprisoned, or in some cases, they were stoned or put to death. Which brings up the question, why in the world would God allow Stephen to be stoned? Stephen was an amazing man of God. Why in the world would the Lord allow the martyrdom of the church? Have you ever thought of that? Why God, if he loves us so much, would allow the martyrdom of the church? Here's why. Because he knows human nature. And he knows human nature goes the way of least resistance. And he knows that if he didn't allow the martyrdom of the church, that historians will record about a small little group of people, Jews, who were called Christians, who died in Jerusalem, not having any impact on the world because after all, who in the world would want to leave Jerusalem? You're listening to the greatest preachers in the history of the infant church. You're listening to Paul is there and Peter is there and they're just having amazing worship and oh, it's so great. Who would want to leave this? And God knows that unless he brings persecution into the church, they're simply going to just sit back and relax and not do anything. Why do you think he allows the devil to buffet you? Why do you think he allows the devil to come and do things in your life? Is it because he doesn't love you?
1: It's because he wants you to grow in the anointing of the spirit. He wants to challenge you. He wants you to make a difference
0: and be a troublemaker. So Stephen, he begins to stir things up. I love the story in the book of Acts because Stephen, he's standing before the Sanhedrin and he kind of gives them a little history lesson. They're listening to him for a while. He's talking about Moses and he's talking about all their history and they're enjoying that. And then he says, oh, by the way, you guys killed the Christ. And the Bible says anger rose within within them, even though they were agreeing with him, and they believed what he said was true, they stopped up their ears, and anger grew within them, and somebody cried out, stone him! And do you know that Saul of Tarsus was there?
1: Saul of Tarsus, who's from the line of Benjamin, Hmm. who was a learned man. He's a Jew. In
0: fact, it says Saul of Tarsus was protecting the clothing of the ones who were stoning. That's a very peculiar thing, unless you understand the culture. See, what they would do, they would begin to disrobe from the waist up because they knew to stone someone was not an instantaneous
1: thing, it was going to be a couple hours. This young man, he faced a grueling death. So they disrobed from the waist up,
0: and Saul is guarding their clothes, and they would lay it at the feet of the man that was in charge. And Saul's watching this. There's no doubt in my mind that later on, when he finally was had that encounter with God on the road, it was because
1: Stephen had planted a seed. Interesting that Stephen cries out. And if you're not
0: careful, you miss a key component in a troublemaker's prayer.
1: He says this, I see the Lord, and he's standing at the right hand of God.
0: You say, well, why is that significant? It's significant because up to this point in the gospel narrative, every time you read about Jesus in heaven, he's seated at the right hand of God, a place of power. But now he's standing at the right hand of God and he's watching Stephen. And the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and I said, Lord, why then did you stand? He said, because son, when you make a stand for me, I will make a
1: stand for you. And not only that, but it's the father's heart. I've got three sons.
0: My son Morgan was a basketball player. My son Quentin—I wish you could see him, guys. hes, he's six foot one and he weighs two hundred and twenty-five pounds.
1: He's the nose guard for the high school. He's going to be a senior. And when they're in an athletic event, daddy can't help but stand. That's my boy.
0: And my wife will say, just remember who you are when you're screaming. (laughs) Just remember they're watching. I don't care. I don't care. And it's just like my boys are out there when they're performing and they're, they're playing. I'm Come on, son. Come on. That's the same thing that Jesus did when he stood up. When Stephen made a stand for him, he stood up and said, come on, son. You're just about to set the template. You're just about to cause the entire New Testament church from this day on to realize that some more power than they could possibly imagine. You're about to cross the finish line, baby. Come on. And I'm going to be welcoming you home. I'll be here to welcome you home. Friends, understand God is waiting for crown point to make a stand
1: hold on no no hold on think about it before you clap your hands think about when you make a stand count the cost Within three decades,
0: those original 120 disciples had multiplied and changed their world forever. Tertullian, an early church father who wrote 200 years after the birth of the church, he made this statement about the impact of the gospel. He said, we have filled every place among you, cities, islands, fortresses, towns, marketplaces, the very camp, tribes, companies, palaces, the Senate, the forum. We have left nothing to you but the templates of your false gods. Don't you love that? Tertullian is saying, there's no stone that has not been unturned. There isn't one little crevice or corner where the gospel has not gone. We have invaded your culture. Some of you will email me on Facebook and you'll say, Oh, Pastor, would you please pray? Because I'm the only Christian on my job and and I want God to just take me out of here. And I'm going to email you back and say, You're the only Christian there? Yes, that's why you're there.
1: Stop whining and make a stand. Grow up in the things of God.
0: Friends, we have the same message and the same task before us as we read through the book of Acts. Some some of us see the early disciples and the things they did, and we say, you know, that's so radical. That is so radical what they did. I think it seems that way to us because we have settled for a watered-down version of what Christianity really ought to be. This isn't radical Christianity that we read about in the book of Acts. This is normal Christianity that we read about in the book of Acts. Acts. And this is what we need and should be asking God for in our brief slice of time on planet earth. Holy Spirit troublemakers or God's champions do not lead uneventful lives. They know deep in their hearts that they've got the power to change the world. They learn how to eat the attacks of Satan and humiliate the devil by turning what he meant for their destruction into a nutrient that makes them a champion for God. One of the greatest mistakes that can be made by modern Christianity is the pursuit of the comfortable Christian life. I want to challenge you. Because Satan wants to take every possibility you have and your church has of becoming warriors. Historians tell us that when the Philistines invaded Israel, the first thing they did was to shut down the blacksmith shops so the Israelites could not make weapons. Theologically, Satan has repeated the same act by provoking many preachers in what we call the emergent church, or many preachers now that are real popular out there, into taking out the, well, the blacksmith shops out of their preaching. So our sermons produce emotionally and sound and balanced people, but there's no capacity to produce weapons. Or produce troublemakers for God in the local church. Because weapons are created in the fire and the furnace of adversity and troublemakers are refined in the altars of grace. Suffering is a word that is almost a sin to talk about in the church of America today. And when you have illegalized or criminalized suffering, you will likewise destroy sacrifice. And when you remove sacrifice, you remove excellence. And the result is fake faith. Styrofoam swords. People who have a make-believe faith empowering God. And when we consider all adversity a meaningless, unnecessary intrusion in our life, we lose power to make us warriors for God. Jesus prayed in John 17 and 15, my prayer is not you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one in the world. The devil wants to lull you to sleep and make you believe that you'll never go through a storm. A lot of these popular preachers, they just tell you, oh, (laughs) come on. It's all about faith. You'll never go through a storm. Listen to me. Glue your eyes right here. I'm getting ready to close this thing. You're going to go through a storm. Storms will come. I didn't say it. The Bible did. Trials will come. I wish I could stand here and tell you they'll never come. I, I wish I could tell you the ministry is easy. I, I wish I could tell you that your marriage is going to be like a bed of roses all the time, and you're just going to be holding hands. And, Girl, we hooked up all the time, and everything. No storms are coming. Either you are heading into a storm, or you've just come out of a storm. But storms are coming. I want to release you. From believing that they're not coming. But I can tell you that we can build a life that will give us victory over all those things when they come. We don't have a choice over what will come, but we do have a choice over what we believe, how we project, and how we forecast, and how we respond. My attitude determines my altitude. You ever wonder why the wise men build
1: his house on the rock? Because he accepts. As reality storms. Peter, who do you say that I am? You are the son of the living God. Peter! Peter! Praise
0: God. Upon that revelation that I am the son of the living God, I shall build my church upon that rock. Build your house upon the rock of Jesus. And then he says, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Storms will come, but I know I have an anchor that holds through every storm. I have a personal relationship with the seawalker and the blind healer, with the alpha and the
1: omega, with the beginning and the end. I don't know you, but storms are coming, baby. And sir, as the priest of your home, you hold on to Jesus. He's going to see you through. You're going to make it. You're going to be encouraged today. You're going to make it. My hope is built on nothing less than
0: Jesus Christ and his blessedness. On Christ the solid rock I stand. You know, I I want to be relevant. Some of these new songs that we sing, you know, they're, they're kind of cutesy, you know. But when you line
1: them up to some of those Stalwart songs of the faith. There's just no meat there. But when you start saying, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and his blessedness. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. Listen as I close.
0: I believe there are people who are afraid in this room right now. Afraid of what, pastor? You're afraid of failure.
1: You're afraid of disappointment, afraid of the high cost of serving God. Listen, you're not alone. You're not alone. I also believe
0: that Peter had a fear of praying for that man at the gate called beautiful. When I study the life of Simon Peter, you find out that the reason I believe he had a fear for praying that, for that man is because the Lord has already marked him for martyrdom. In fact, the Lord has told him, Peter, the day is coming when someone's going to put their cloak around you and bring you where you did not want to go. How I many know that's not going to encourage you in your ministry? That has a way of saying, hey, bro, you know what, I'm just going to kick it here and i and. Because Peter knew that the Lord's problems came when he started healing
1: people. When he started stepping out. He knew that when he started praying for the sick and doing mighty
0: miracles, Peter knew the man that that's when things would start to happen for the Lord. And Peter knew the man at the gate would be healed by the power of God. He knew he would get up and walk. The result of this would be a massive revival, but also it would bring great persecution. So every day he would pass the man on the way to the church, toss a coin in his cup, and buy another day of powerless ministry. I've got to ask you, are you doing that? I wish I had tonight to teach you on the five things. Do you know there are five things that grieve the Holy Spirit? And the scripture talks about five sins that you commit. The first three that you commit, the New Testament teachers, are committed by the church. The last two, the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit or the rejecting of the Holy Spirit, are by an unbelieving world. So if you've ever wondered, if you've blasphemed the Holy Spirit, don't worry. If you're wondering about it, you haven't.
1: But do you know that you can cause the dove to cry and grieve the Spirit of God? Oh, I wish I had time. I wish I had time. Maybe that's for another time. So Peter tossed the coin in the cup
0: until one day he walked by the gate and his pockets are empty.
1: And he begins to look for something. And he realizes I don't have any cute cliches anymore. I I don't have any hotsy toty little sayings or programs to give you, bro. Let me bring it home. We've got the lights, which is wonderful. we got the coffee, which is amazing.
0: This morning, a little boy came into the sound booth where we were standing there, and there were three donuts lined up there. And his sister said, we had to get an apple fritter because they were
1: out of donuts. I said, yeah, it's because this guy bought them all. That's wonderful. Oh, I, the building looks great. The empty seats don't. I, I, I don't have anything else to give you, Peter said. I am broke, busted, and disgusted. And I believe
0: at that very moment, the Holy Spirit whispered in his ear and said, Peter,
1: are you going to become a champion? Are you going to become a troublemaker for God and live up to the namesake that was given you? You've been given the power to change the world, Peter. Or are you going to be
0: satisfied with weak will, low-impact Christianity? And suddenly, the false security of a non-committed life that he had been living means nothing to him anymore. And the raw power of the Holy Spirit begins to rise up within him, and he says, silver and gold have I none. We can translate that into today's... I, I don't have any more cute little sayings to give you or I, I don't have any more things that I could, I've tried all the programs to reach you and, and, and we've
1: tried all the, all the counseling and we, we, we've tried all the commercials and the billboards. But what I have to give, I give to thee. Arise and walk in the name of Jesus. That man at the gate stands up
0: in faith, miraculously healed. He walks away praising God. In fact, the Bible says he went jumping and leaping and praising God. Well, he's just going to have church. When you've been set free, you've got to move a little bit. It's amazing how some of us, we say, well, I can't do that, Pastor. I'm dignified. I believe most of Christianity doesn't know the difference between dignified and Petrified.
1: But when I think of what he's done for me, when I think about his grace and his mercy,
0: I don't get too, I can't get, stay dignified. I got jumping and leaping and praising God. Some of you are sitting there saying, well, I am on the inside jumping.
1: I don't cut it anymore. The power of praise. Yes, they arrest Peter.
0: He's catapulted to the next level of his ministry. <laughs> I've got to stop. I've gone over 42 minutes.
1: The church explodes. Peter Stone in prison. And he becomes a raw
0: Holy Ghost troublemaker for God. I believe with everything in me right now that God is calling us to that place. And do you know? One of the greatest hindrances to a church like this who has it all.
1: amazing facility, amazing pastors. Sitting on the hill. They used to see you walking in high cotton now. You know what one of our greatest hindrances? are mine. <laughs> because we don't know, friends, what God has for us. Do you know that the devil doesn't know who's going to be saved next week? But God does. Do you think if the devil knew that Saul
0: of Tarsus was going to be saved, that he might have done something to try to cause him not to be on that road? But God knows what's
1: coming. He's just waiting for someone to respond to his call. Unsung
0: heroes. One of my favorite unsung heroes is Ananias. Not the one that died, but there's another one that was praying. He's praying, and the Lord says, hey, uh, Ananias, yes, Lord, I want you to go down. He gives him the address. Saul of Tarsus is there, and he's been blind. He's been praying to me for three days. In fact, he's praying to me right now, which tells me that God's the best multitasker you've ever seen. He's praying to me right now. Here's what I want you to do, son. I want you to go down there and lay hands on him. And Ananias says this, Lord, you know that dude is pretty tough. You know he's a murderer, Lord, like the Lord didn't know. Lord, he, you know, he 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 drags people out of their house, Lord, and he's taking them to the courts. And God is calling this church to look to the ones who don't look like us, they don't act like us, they don't dress like us. But too many of you have been too hesitant. Lord, you know,
1: and you're grieving the Holy Spirit. You're grieving him. And God is asking, how hungry are you?
0: (laughs) How hungry are you? Right now with every head bowed, every eye closed. Because the church has forgotten that God doesn't specialize in what we can believe but he specializes in what we cannot believe. We serve a
1: mighty God. We serve a mighty God. We serve a mighty God. I want you that are
0: hungry for more of Jesus to right now just lift your hands and say, Lord, would you start it again in me? Would you move in me? Pastor, get ready to come.
1: Would you move in me? Come on, just lift those hands right now. Would you move in me, Lord? Take the 200 that
0: we have here, or 400, whatever it is, and Lord, would you move in us right now? Pastor, lead us in something. I got to do something. Pastor, come on.
1: Father, in the name of Jesus.